Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. This morning we're going to step back into um, the timeline this morning with our Lord as, as best we can. Our message entitled, What Are We Waiting For? What are we waiting for? I think this morning we're going to um, just read this passage together at the beginning. <clears throat> There's a little bit in here, and I want you to hear it a few times, okay? Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Let's go ahead and read this together, and uh, then I'll pray. We're, I'm reading from the King James Version. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation... Neither shall they say, Lo here, lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And he said unto the disciples, The days will come, when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here, or see there. Go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did, eat, they did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife? Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed, and the one shall be taken, the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two men shall be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. They answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Would you join me? Father, There's a lot here, there's great depth in your truth, in the words that you have shared with us, Lord, words of love. Everything you said to us is love, whether it loves us and encourages us, whether it loves us and confronts us. Father, today, would you allow your truth to fall on fertile hearts, soft hearts, that would accept your truth, obey your truth, and it would grow into something, into lives that are truly honoring and glorifying to you, God. In your name I ask. Amen. The first coming of Jesus Christ, which we just passed a season that we celebrate his birth, his first coming. That was foretold in the, in the Old Testament scriptures for thousands of years before it actually happened. God's first coming, his incarnation in the flesh. During the time of his birth, during that time, we, we've been reading 
uh, many things that our Lord said, and really that we're only reading like a short three-year period and not even everything that he said and did in that three-year period. But as Jesus is speaking to people and relating to people, he starts talking about the fact that he is, yes, he's here. He came the first time, but he's going to come again. This morning, this is what he is talking about. He is answering some demanding religious leaders. And that's, by the way, what they did a lot, right? They demanded things of Jesus. And I shudder to be in their shoes at the judgment when they realize the spirit of all their demands and commands and tricks and lies as they stand before the Son of God one day. But today we read of one of those instances He deals with these religious leaders, he answers them, and then he gives his own followers some insight into what will be happening when he returns again, when he comes again. And please catch the irony that he is already speaking to his followers about coming again when he's right there in their presence. He has not left yet. And what this might be bringing up in their minds as we go Go for this. His first coming, 2,000 years ago. I mean, we've been been talking about it ever since, and, and we look back on it. All the time. I mean, here we are. But for us even, his return is still yet to happen 2,000 years later. 2,000 years after today's narrative actually happened, it was this story was actually told, this conversation was actually spoken by Jesus. 2,000 years later, this still has not come to pass. And here we are. Jesus talked about it. Peter talked about it. Paul talked about it. John talked about it. It's amazing to me how many times in the New Testament Jesus coming back is referred to. Many, many, many times. I don't know how it compares. Somebody do this study and let me know. How it compares to the Old Testament, how many times Jesus' first coming was told about, and how many times in the New Testament his second coming is told about. I'm pretty sure the second coming is even more, but you let me know. Let me know in that study. We know it hasn't happened yet. And I don't know about you, when something gets talked about and talked about and planned on and foretold, but the time goes on and on and on, after a while, my human nature kind of tends to lose the sense of urgency because it still hasn't happened. I remember in 2009, I don't know where you were in 2009, we were living on Long Island, New York, Uh, when the major banking crisis happened and um, the economy took a downturn and a lot of people were in crisis. And I had a family with uh, uh, four, I guess just four children. No, that happened, right? Jason wasn't born until after that. Four four girls and and a wife and on a single income. And then that happened. And, of course, everybody's doomsday all of a sudden, right? It's It's all over the radio, all over TV, everything. And, you know, I want to be a wise father. I want to prepare properly for what everybody is saying is coming. And so we start making our prepping lists and we start rearranging our household finances. I mean, uh, food storage, we were getting freeze-dried food buckets. We were getting uh, silver coins. I mean, researching off-the-grid living. I mean, I was even getting ready to have some rain barrels. Uh, We built a greenhouse. We had chickens in the backyard. I mean, we were getting ready for whatever happened. (laughs) Well, it was 2009. I don't know if you knew this, but it's now 2024. It still hasn't happened. I'm not saying it won't. It seems impossible that it won't, but it's been a long time we're talking about it. And I don't know about you, but 
my dehydrator is sitting in storage now, and uh, I still have it, still got the coins, but the urgency has definitely waned over time. I feel like that can happen as well when we talk about the Lord's coming, can it not? I mean, we drum up this excitement and urgency when we're talking about it, but give it a week, give it two weeks, six months. Here we are today. As you wait, and that's really what it ends up being for us, humanity, a waiting game. As you wait for his return, where does this passage that we're going to read today, where does it find you at in your life? Because the tendency is to do just that, right? This is not urgent. Although every single passage we read about makes it urgent. Connect that with our humanity. Where are we at today? As we jump into verse number 20, we see some different groups of people. We see some different ways of looking at this, where this urgent message is finding people in their lives. The first one we see is... Some are waiting for their circumstances to get better. They're waiting for their circum. They're in this waiting game. Some are looking for that perfect scenario before they turn to God. I mean, the Pharisees were no different. Let's start reading in verse number 20. It says, And when he, Jesus, was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. You can't see it. Neither shall they say, lo here, lo, look, look here, look there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Not only did they not understand what he just said, they did not like what he just said. They very much so thought the Messiah was going to come and bring back the glory of Israel. They thought the actual Messiah, which they didn't think he was the actual Messiah, but they thought the actual Messiah was going to come and free them from the oppression. This Roman Empire that governed everything in their area, that had every nation and tribe and tongue and subjugation under them. We're God's chosen people. I mean, there was no nation we hear of that was more proud than them. God is going to free us from this, just like he did from Egypt. Free us from slavery. He's going to bring in some plagues. He's, in this case, he's going to bring in this great leader, this Messiah that's going to free us. He's going to become king. He's going to crush this empire. We're going to rule again. It's going to be great. Pharisees, okay. You're the son of God. You're, you're Messiah. When is the kingdom of God coming? When's it going to happen? Because we haven't seen anything yet. Jesus said, because the kingdom of God, John told you it's at hand. It is here. Because the king is here. I'm here. But the kingdom of God is not visible with your eyes. It's within you. Now for them, that didn't really make any sense to them. That wasn't what they're looking for. That wasn't the circumstance they were waiting to pull the trigger on really being serious about questioning anything about the reality of God or if this was even the Messiah. If he really was the Messiah, this was going to change everything. Let us see the kingdom. Let us see something. Isn't it amazing? It's so easy in our humanity to do exactly the same thing. God, I'll get serious about this when you show me something, God. I mean, I know everybody says creation, yeah, blah, blah, blah. But I, I learned at school that it's really not about that. I mean, you could have actually, you could have created evolution. I mean, evolution could really be something that you came up with. And all the crazy talk that we hear nowadays in schools twisting everything God said, putting man's 
not wisdom in there, making it out like it is wisdom. Because we want it our way. I'll turn to God when it's time. I'll turn to God, really, what we're saying is when I don't have anything else to do. When I don't have anybody else to turn to, I'll turn to God then. But we can carry that same base temptation into our Christianity, those old pathways of thinking that, that we did when we were lost before we came to Christ, and we can take that same lazy way, right? God, I will, I'll surge forward in my walk for you. I'll surge forward in my, in my dedication and my zeal for God. But there's just a few things I really need to take care of first. Or, you know, God, if you would just remove this hard, this hard physical aspect of my life, I would do that for you. If you just take care of some of these bills... I would do that for you. If you just get me in a decent church, I mean, I would do that for you. All of these reasons that we just haven't, and so we're just sitting and waiting and not doing much really at all for God. Some are waiting for circumstances to get better. He says it's not with opposite. It's not something you can see. You're not going to find the right circumstance. The kingdom of God, the relationship that you are to have with me is within you. For Christians, Paul testifies to the church at Rome. He says, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. We're not waiting for a circumstance. Because when we wait on the Lord, he's, he doesn't usually drop that down to us. Say, okay, here you go. Right circumstance. Now come on. No, he expects us to live by faith. That's where the blessing is. Many of you know this, that have traveled down the Christian life a little way. Traveled down that road a little way. You know that this is where the happiness is. This is where the peace in your life is. It's walking by faith. Paul testifies to the church at Corinth. He says, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Paul says, I know this is the case. When we're in our bodies, that's because we're not with the Lord yet. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and, not to be, and, and to be present with the Lord. That's what we want. Because of this, wherefore we labor. That whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. He says, we're not, we're not waiting. It'd be great to be in heaven. It'd be great to live a life of heavenly bliss with our Savior, but we're not there yet. So we're not waiting around. Whether therefore we're present or absent, we labor. Why? Because I'm living for Him. I want to be accepted of Him. That was not the case with these Pharisees who were demanding. With us, it must be the alternative. It must be the path we walk must be uh, driven with this desire to excel in what we are doing for Him. Why? Because He is coming again. Because there is a reality to what we are doing. We are not just fulfilling some kind of religious schedule this week by being here on Sunday morning. No, as Paul said to the Galatian church, we are living, see it in the bold right there in the middle of the verse, we are living a life which is in the flesh, yes, but it's lived by the faith of the Son of God. This is how we live. And when we lose the urgency, when we lose the zeal many times, can we not be honest and say it's, it's because that's not what I'm doing right now. I'm not living every day by faith. I mean, I've kind of got some things figured out now. I really don't have to live by faith anymore. I mean, I got some money in the bank. I got some talents and abilities. Got a good job. Cars are broken down in months. I mean, it's great. 
Jesus brings this to their attention as he continues to talk to them. Second thing we see, second aspect we see is some are ready to go home now. He turns to his disciples at this point as he's answering these men. He says in verse number 22, Jesus said unto the disciples, The days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. And just pause right there. He's telling his disciples, listen, the day is going to come when you're going to want to see me, and I'm not going to be here. You're going to want to be with me, and I'm not going to be present. Verse 23, And they shall say to you, See here or see there, go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of one part of heaven shineth unto the other part of heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. Jesus said, there's going to be a time when you're going to want to see me. He's speaking to them, I'm, I'm going to be gone. You're going to want to see me. You're going to want to be with me. I mean, have you been there? Have you ever been there in your Christian life where, honestly, you're just ready to go home? I mean, you're just ready. And normally, let's, let's be honest, normally that's when we're in a time of hardship, Right? Whether it's hardship against some kind of physical aspect of our life, some kind of uh, temptation in our life that we're just battling and just life, um, spiritual life, physical life, emotional life, married life, family life, job, whatever is just a battle. It's like, Lord, can we just go home? Can I just be done with this? Jesus knew that. He even knew this 2,000 years ago. There's going to be a day, disciples, followers, there's going to be a day when you're going to want to see me. I'm not going to be here. And he said, by the way, there's going to be others that are going to say, well, he's over here, or he's over here. And he said, no, don't, that's not what it's about. He said, I have a time schedule. Just like the lightning shines, comes out one side and shines the other side, you know there's lightning because it's shining light. You're going to know when it's time. You're going to know. What is he doing? You're going to have to walk by faith. There's going to be a time you're ready to go. It's not time yet. He says at the, in verse 25, he says, uh, you're going to desire to see the Son of Man in his day, but first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. Now, we praise God for that. They weren't looking forward to that. There's going to be things in our lives that God must do and handle. We're seeing, uh, if you study prophecy at all, I'm not a pro at it, um, but if you study prophecy, you see that there are things happening in prophecy that God has said would happen. These things have to happen, and they are happening before Jesus Christ returns, before the day of the Son of Man actually happens. But, hey, I've been there just like you. Lord, can, I mean, I'm just tired of fighting my sinful nature. I'm just tired of it. It's like, man. I mean, you try to put it in your pocket, and it just, just pops right out every time, right? I mean, you, you try to, to uh, you know, this is temptation over here, so you walk over here, and it just follows you right over, it seems like. It's living by faith. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We just had that verse on the screen. Galatians 2.20. This is the life that we live. And we need reminders like today that it is urgent. He is coming again. But you say, well, what if he doesn't come in my lifetime? Well, you would join Millions of other people who wondered the same thing. And guess what? It's still just as urgent for all of us. Why is it urgent for all of us? Because you and I need to be motivated. 
And isn't it good of God to do that? I mean, he didn't have to do this. He didn't have to put some, some sort of spiritual prophetic carrot in front of us. Listen, I'm coming. I'm coming. Get ready. Stay ready. But he did. That, to me, is the goodness of God. Paul, Paul felt this way about this battle. He says here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, For I'm now ready to be offered, speaking to Timothy, his son in the faith. The time of my departure is at hand. He's an older man now. He looks back and he says, I'm ready to go. I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. All them. There's an urgency that we're to have in our life. And, and Paul says Jesus is going to reward that urgency. Jesus is looking for people that are looking for his appearing. And he's going to reward them. It's going to reward them. Paul says, I, I'm, I'm done. I've fought. I'm just tired. I'm ready to go. No matter where we are in the battle, even like Paul, even though he was ready, he didn't die the next day. God still had more in his purposes for Paul. Paul continued on that road until he passed. Same with us. We see another group of people. Some will be totally surprised when he returns. Totally surprised. Let's read this passage in, starting in verse number 26. Jesus continues in this conversation with his disciples and he says, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Jesus brings another uh, viewpoint, if you would, another group of people that will be surprised at his coming. And he says it will be just like it was in the days of Noah and the days of Lot who lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. Judgment for the people in the days of Noah. Remember, it was years and years and years and years that Noah, a preacher of righteousness, was building that boat, telling people it was coming. And still somehow, when it actually came, they were surprised. When it actually came, there were people that wanted in the boat now, after all these years. He said, it's also the same way, just like it was for Sodom and Gomorrah with Lot. Perverted lifestyles, rampant sin was just going on like everyday living in the, in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. God took Lot out of that city, part of his family out of that city, and in just a few minutes, God leveled the place in judgment, in righteous judgment. There was a whole city that was surprised. A whole city, a whole world in the days of Noah that were surprised and suffered the judgment of God because they were not ready for his return. Judgment came at a total surprise to people who did not believe he would come. Did not believe that judgment would be there. This is the unbelieving world, the gospel-rejecting, God-rejecting world. 
I mean, we're, we're dealing with this right now. Our Facebook page is getting ready to be shut down, by, I believe, for the same reason. And there's nothing on there but messages. So we've offended somebody, and they're going to shut our, our, our page down if we don't tell them why. One of them, there's like three reasons, something, something, and hate speech. I can't even think of what it would even be they're talking about, but this is the world we live in. They're against God. They are. Fortunately, it's not us against them. It's them against him. <laughs> and we're with him. <laughs> we're with him. And we're grateful for it this morning. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Aren't you glad that you're not in that they? Aren't you glad? They shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Oh, they're going to be surprised. Anyone that thinks they can put off uh, repenting and turning by faith to Jesus Christ for salvation, anybody that thinks they can do that, and they get caught in the judgment, which could literally be in one minute, they're going to be surprised. And the judgment of God will overtake them, sadly. It's not a good surprise for them, I don't think it'll be a good surprise for us either when we think about them. If God showed up today to take you home, would you be prepared? Or would you be surprised? He is letting his disciples and us, as he's writing the Bible right here in this passage, 2,000 years later, that we should still be ready. Another type of person we see, some will have a hard time letting go. Have a hard time letting go. Chapter 17, verse 30, he continues on. He says, Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife? Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. And we've heard that last truth several times in different passages. It's a universal principle by God. You hold on to this life, you're letting go or refusing to grab on to something or someone that is way more precious than everything you and I are hanging on to down here. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus paints the picture of the state of a man on the day he would return from heaven. That he says it's so uh, earth-shattering, his return, that when they realize it's happening, you will not have time. You're going to want to, as they will even today in Palestinian homes. You, you see a lot of flat roofs. This was very prevalent back then. They'll be up on the roof. He says, you're not going to be able to go into the house and get your possessions. You don't have time, but you can't take them. Everything you think is valuable is going to mean nothing to you. If you're out in the field, you're not going to be able to go home and get everything that you think is valuable to you. Absolutely not. He says everything that is holding you to this life is not going to be attainable to you. But there are many like that. This life is all they have. And let that burden us. And if this finds this morning to be you that he's talking to. Let this be the day of salvation. Let this be the day, maybe Christian, when you get these things right. 
Because it is, we are prone, are we not, to hold on to things down here. We are. They're the old ways, but we're prone to them sometimes. He says, remember Lot's wife? In Genesis chapter 19, verse 24, we come right in on the scene as God is raining down judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. It says, then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord Jehovah out of heaven. He overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his, Lot's wife, looked back from behind him as they're escaping and she became a pillar of salt. Now I have no idea the pillar of salt aspect, why it is that. It has some kind of meaning obviously, but why did she turn into one is what Jesus is talking about in the Gospels. Because she looked back. You say, well, I mean, it's just a look. It's what the look represented. The look represented, that's valuable to me. I'm leaving something that's very valuable. And not for nothing, she had family back there. We know she brought two daughters that Lot foolishly offered to the homosexual men in the crowd that had not known anyone. But she had another couple daughters as well that had son-in-laws, and they tried They tried to convince them to leave the city once God told them there was judgment coming. And what did they do? They laughed at him. I'm not leaving. Are you kidding me? They didn't believe a word they said. Why not? Because there was not a life that was lived up to that point. They were rooted in that city. And Lot's wife, who we hear about for the first time right here, this this day before the judgment... Lot's wife had rooted herself there as well. And where you are rooted is not proven by what you or I say. It is always proven by what we do. And Lot's wife, sadly, for him and for her, just revealed where her heart really was. It was not with God, not with following and obeying him. It was with the things of this world. Her family had fallen right in with that. Now, as her husband is trying to lead her to safety, she just can't. She can't. And that's what it is. We get, don't we? We we get too deep. We get in deep. That God speaks to us about something, and it's not, well, God, I know I should. It's, I can't. I can't do it. Some will have a hard time letting go. Where does this find you this morning as Jesus is talking about his return. He says, hey, if you're on the roof, you're in the field, all this stuff you're working for, you're not going to be able to get it. It's going to mean absolutely nothing when I come back. This is the life of a follower of Jesus. Whenever there's nothing holding me here, whenever there is really nothing that is keeping me from standing up for God because I've let go of it all, What a hard thing, but what a freeing thing. Lastly, there will be some who will be left behind. We draw comfort as believers this morning, those who are listening to this, as a follower of Jesus, that we will not be left behind, but there will be some who will be left behind at this time. He says in verse 34, chapter 17, I tell you, In that night there shall be two men in one bed, one shall be taken, the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together, the the one shall be taken, 
the other left. Two men shall be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord, where, where this doesn't make it, where, where is this going to happen? And he said, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. You'll, you'll know when it's time, you'll know this is happening. Okay, eagles, vultures, when there's a dead body, the vultures start forming. When the things that Jesus says are going to come to pass, we get in that season, we hear this over and over again in the New Testament, we'll study it again this coming Wednesday night in our fellowship groups, we start seeing signs that we're in that season. He says, you'll know. It's not a mystery. Not a mystery for, for those who are following me, for those who are looking, those who are watching. I was wondering, what, you know, what will the ones who are taken, what will they be feeling during this time? What, we, we know there'll be some regret and um, major fear, I would think, as all of a sudden something is happening to them that they never expected to be happening to them, and then I don't know how long it will be before they stand before God at judgment. What a sobering time. But what about those of us who get taken up with the Lord and we're, we're not... God take... I just reversed that thing at the beginning. Yeah, thank you, sorry. So what about those that are left? Sorry, we're talking about the second coming. Jesus comes to get his own. The picture is right there that one's going to be taken with Jesus. The other's going to be left. In other words, they weren't with Jesus. And although that's a happy time to be taken and to meet up together with the Lord in the clouds, it would be wonderful. I can't help but think that maybe some of the tears in heaven that Jesus will wipe from our eyes is for the one that was left. The one that we were working with the field, in the field with, the one that we were on the job with, the one that we were in our family with, and just a broken heart, that would maybe even cause us to be like some talked about in Luke chapter 16, where Abraham says there would be some that would leave heaven and go to hell because their family members are there, because their loved ones are there. They would be willing to do that. It'll be so horrible. Some will be left behind. Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, Jesus says, Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready. For in such a time, such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. What's the exhortation to us, to his disciples? Watch. You don't know. Well, if the Lord would just tell me when it was going to happen, I could just make sure everything is ready. I think that's what we'd probably all say, or think at least, maybe not say it out loud. But that's the way our human nature works. So he doesn't tell us. He just says, I'm coming. I will be here. And for those of us who care, those of us who are watching, that is a motivator. That helps us curb sometimes the flesh. That helps us sometimes set our priorities in order. Some will be left behind. Some of us will be taken. But not yet. We're still here. So... What are we doing until then? Well, until then, we're, we're getting ready to actually have a couple weeks of 
teaching from God's word on stewardship, what we are doing to steward what we have here. I mean, what we have here, you're looking at what we have here. You're going to go home to what you have here. You're going to talk on the phone to what you have here. You're going to walk this week through what you have here. All the things that we have here, God has given those things to us, and we're stewards. When our Lord returns, what will he find? Luke 18, 8, about a chapter into what we're going to be studying here soon, actually. He says, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? What will he find when he comes? Some are waiting for just better circumstances. I'll turn to the Lord when the time is right, or, or I, will, I will give that thing up. It's really, it's really making me struggle in my Christian life. I'll give it up. Um, I will. I really intend to do this. I, I know God's spoken to me about serving in this ministry, or He's given myself this way or that way, or surrendering this part of my life, or whatever it is, and I'm, I'm almost there. If, if this could just happen... Then I would do that. Some are just ready to go home. I mean, they're at the end of life. They're tired. But God still has a purpose. Some are battling in their life right now. God still has a purpose. Some will be totally surprised when he returns. That in itself is convicting to me. That there would be some around me that would be totally surprised when he returns. Some will have a hard time letting go. Life down here has totally engulfed them. Some will be left behind. And as wonderful as heaven will be, the day of judgment will be horrible for those people. And no doubt will bring brokenness to the people of God as we have to observe that. Those that we love. And even those that we don't. Enduring the wrath of Almighty God on the sin of mankind. This morning, as we go to the Lord, every head bowed and every eye closed, and remind ourselves, as we need to so often, about the coming of, yes, our wonderful Redeemer, but also the righteous judge of all the earth. And it will be a wonderful time for some. For many, it will not. What will it be for you? Are you prepared to meet your God? Are you prepared to meet the one who has died for you? Are you waiting for something? This morning, we answer the Lord. Father, we come before you today. Lord, I don't know the states of the hearts in here, Lord, but you do. You knew exactly where we would be in your word this morning. You've ordained this. God, bring us to a point of decision. Give us the strength and the courage to decide today. Let this not be another day where we have been prodded, have been stirred, nothing changed. Lord, whether it be somebody needs to come to you this morning for salvation, Lord, whether somebody needs to be honest about their need to be saved or whether your people need to rearrange some things, need to reprioritize, need to gain back that zeal that we feel when we consider your coming. 
Lord, would you show us the urgency? Would you give that to us as you spoke to your disciples? And let that remain in our lives. Honestly, Lord, not because you're coming, but because we love you. Thank you for the motivation. I'm sorry, Lord, to say that I need the motivation. This morning, would you give us the strength to live a life that is acceptable to you? In your name I ask, amen. Would you stand?